You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Here, uh, the Jewish Apoyskim Shir, the Yeshiva of IDT, but we are here in conjunction with the Paseik Torah Institute, uh, as well as with the Illinois Center for Jewish Studies. We've come together uh, in the shadow of the death of uh, Sarah Teiro, Shmaro Yosef, Chaim Kanievsky, Zechot Salev, Kodesh that occurred on Shushan Purim. Uh, we have, Baruch uh, Hashem, we have people that uh, are, are, are willing to speak about the greatness of Rechaim and his Teiro. Uh, I, I guess I should note uh, that there's a, a commonality of the three Maspidim is that they belong uh, to the Dor HaChodosh in a certain sense from our perspective. Uh, they, are, they aren't necessarily, uh, you know, you know clean yeshiva bochum, but they're from a certain age that I think Rav Chaim was so crucial for them. They are persons who have um, a guild that the definition of Torah for them was Rav Chaim. Some of us that are here also understood that, but perhaps did not feel it as viscerally as in our bones, so, so to speak, as our maspidim. And therefore, although there could be Zikan and Abonim, who I'm known in to throw, are spending this week being maspid, I think it's appropriate that our maspidim are actually ones who developed as Bnei Teira, developed as Rabonim, Dayonim, Rosh Hashivas and Marbitzei Teirav with Rechaim as their touchstone, Rechaim as their spirit, Rechaim. And in that way, it's Tugibast that even though perhaps there have there been others who would have known Rechaim and perhaps been connected to him, our Maspidim are definitely under his influence, his shadow, and permeates them in ways that perhaps people from our vintage, or my vintage, and maybe... Or, don't really hop. Um, I do want to just say one on this note before we begin with Rabbi Pfeffer, Bayan Pfeffer from Eretz Yisrael, that uh, Rav Chaim was once asked um, uh, in, in the beginning of Parshas Boy, in Parshas Boy, the Torah talks about Makas Arbe, and the Torah gives a lotion which is um, echoed in, in the beginning of uh, beginning of Yoel, that the Arbe is something that when it Arrives, they will be able to misaper ba'ozni bincha u ben bincha as a shares halal tibe mitzrayim. And Yoel also says a man to saperu. So Rachaim was asked, why was it by Arbe that the Torah emphasizes that this is going to be given over to children and grandchildren? So Rachaim said as brilliantly, he said the other makos that were experienced by Klal Yisrael were so beyond nature, so beyond anything that was going to happen in the future, that it would be almost impossible to describe it other than some fantastic way. Whereas Arba, although the Arba of Mitzrayim was, 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 was much worse, was much more intense, it could be compared. And therefore, you could actually give it over in an easier way. <laughs> because this was something that occurred. Oh, you remember the Arba? Oh, it was worse than that. Oh, so there's a Mokamachiza that the children and the grandchildren would have. They know what Arba is. And now, if you could just emphasize it and push it even further, that actually makes a relation. 
I think here when we're talking about being the sapir, the demus of a godel, the demus of an anak, the demus of, of Rav Chaim, it's, it's almost like Rav Chaim's chiddush of what you give him a sapir from almost makes it difficult to be a sapir. It's one thing if you're being maspid, of course, a goin, a, an amkin, a ramdin, someone who show you it, a meshiv. Rav Chaim is almost mufke. Can the Dora Chodesh rep, rep, replicate something that's even Bitsuras Rav Chaim? It's almost impossible to be Mesaper if you weren't there. And of course, he's given the edifice of his Torah, but it almost makes it difficult to be able to be Mesaper Lidoris when we're talking about something like Rav Chaim. Just like it's like the Makois that are Mufla. Of course, we're going to be Mishtado. We have a mitzvah to, to try to be Mekayim that, but it's almost beyond considering who Rav Chaim was and what he was for our door. So, uh, and even though I'm, I've sort of set a, uh, an incredible task for our Maspidim, Marichim, I want to start with someone who I have a tremendous amount of COVID for, someone who who's, has already been in, in his life, has already done so much and has, has agreed uh, basically on a cold call to come in. Uh, I, I, had to, I had to convince him because he really didn't want to do it. I had to push him. Hadayan Rabbi Shua Pfeffer, if you will please begin our Harocha Hesped for Hagoyin Rochaim. So, yeah, Shalom of Racha, thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Avram. And um, like uh, Rabbi Kivalevit says, I, I really um, had to be pushed into this because we're all uh, young individuals, certainly I am, and, um, you know, Reb Chaim was a, a legend uh, for me, uh, literally. Uh, something that went you know, far beyond what I can speak about as a, as a Rebbe or someone that I had a close connection to. I was just a legendary, uh, a legendary figure and someone that represented, I think more than anything else, represented the Rebbe Shemin Bar Yuchai of our generation. Somebody who may speak about in Eretz Israel, we have a lot of younger light, Baruch Hashem, Ken Yerbu, that have the official title of Torosoi Umanusoi, meaning his job, his profession is the Torah. But even though they're Torosoi Umanusoi, but still, you know, they know what they're having for lunch today, and they know what's going on in the bank account, more or less, and they know what's coming for dinner, and they have plans of, you know, maybe doing something on the side when they need to make some, some parnasa. Rav Chaim just was detached from all of this. He was the true Tarasoi Umanasoi. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai also in Sukkah, he says, Ra'isi b'nei aliyah umu'atim heim. Um, there are not many b'nei aliyah around. So, you know, we can go around and say, maybe this guy is a ben aliyah, maybe this guy is a ben aliyah. Uh, but Rav Chaim was, was just one of these true B'nai that you to, just, you can only watch him from afar. And, and to your point, Rav Avram, of, you know, can Rav Chaim be a role model? Can we think about emulating this? I, I truly don't think so. I think Rav Chaim is one of those stars that you see from afar. It's not about em, emulating. Um, it's, it, it, he's not a role model. He's just, you see him from afar. He's an inspiration. He's a legend. Um, he's something so remarkable and, and so different from 
any kind of other, even among G'dayli Israel, so different, so unique. Um, so uh, on, on a pedestal that is, I think, uh, uh, unrivaled. Of course, each one had his, you know, special, uh, special uh, d- d- defining character and defining virtue. But Reb Chaim's in Torah, in his both incredible detachment from anything else, somebody that was Kulei Torah, I think Reb Chaim, in a certain sense, embodied the Nefesh Chaim, maybe, more than any other Sefer. Embodied the ethos that the yeshivas are founded on, but this ethos is often a theoretical ethos. It's an ethos which is an ideal to be aspired to, but everyone understands you're not going to actually touch this ideal. Uh, Reb Chaim really touched this ideal. He was just up there in, in, the, in the Nefesh Chaim's ideal of someone that's Kulei Torah, and that the world stands on his shoulders just by virtue of, of his Torah and, and nothing else. So, like I said, I'm totally uh, uh, unworthy of Divri Hesper. So I won't say any Divri Hesper. I don't think I'm worthy of them. I'll just mention one short shtikel Torah of Reb Chaim that I think somehow embodies or illustrates the type of Torah of Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim was not a lambda in the yeshivish sense. He, was, he, he wasn't a Rosh Yeshiva. His farim are not farim of brisker londus. I do not think that he was uh, closely attached to that type of base medrash. Um, his learning was not even in the style of the Chazanesh, although he was a Talmud of the Chazanesh in the sense of his Orchus the way he lived and the Halachic rulings that he abided by. Um, but his learning was unique. It was in his own way. And when the Sefer... So, Derech is a, is, a, is a masterpiece. I mean, um, we know we have the Chofetz Chaim, we wrote the Mishnah Bura. Um, we have other Likutim that have been written by impressive Tamidei Chachamim. But Derech was a Sefer that somehow represents a certain yesh me'ayin. I mean, not that others had not written on Seder Zerayim before, but it was such an original work, such a work of taking a, an area of Torah that had not been um, highlighted, that had not been exposed, that had not been written on, on in such an extensive way. There was Farim, Pastor Shulchan, another Farim, but taking this, this area and bringing it to life in a way that you have the, the and the bir halacha, meaning the biurim that he has on 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 sefer in in derech emuna, are, are just re- remarkable, remarkable for their incredible bekiyas, but not just for the bekiyas, also for the types of connections that he made. And that was Reb Chaim because he had kola Torah kula on his fingertips. He was able to make connections that nobody else could think of. Um, that's why. Everyone asked him, what's the source for this? We can find explicit sources, but Reb Chaim could find the implicit sources, the sources that are not explicit, and that because he had everything on his fingertips, he was able to just, you know, go through Babli, Yerushalmi, Sifra, Sifri, Zar, oh, something in the Zar, and from there we can establish the, the source for a certain minig or a certain practice or a certain halacha. So I'm just going to very briefly t- take you through three words of Derech HaMona, okay, literally. So Derech HaMona came out, it was a big chiddush, it made a, 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 a loud noise. 
and uh, as a as a as a as a very young young man, I, I saw uh, this new safer in the in the base medrash, and of course it was um, it was a very uh, it was exciting uh, a new a new safer or chadash al tair. So I opened the safer, and there was a halach in hilchas trumas that I came across, and I think that this halacha embodies the Torah of Reb Chaim in a, in a rich way and in a beautiful way. So the Rambam in Hilchas Trumas, in Perik Dalad, the Rambam said that there are five categories, five different types of people who cannot take Truma. Chamesha lo yutrumu, vim ain't Trumas on Truma. They, they can't be Torem, and if they do, the Truma is not Chal. And these are the very familiar, well-known categories. Okay, a cheresh, shoite, katan, um, and akum. These are the categories that uh, are not, uh, cannot be term. And also, that's the fifth one. If you take trauma from something which is not yours and you don't have rishos, so there's the five categories that lo yitrimu. Says Reb Chaim in Derech Hamona, you know what? I have one extra category. Says Reb Chaim, v'chein behema. I'm quoting the words. V'chein behema. An animal can't be Torah. V'v'zeris yisyashev. And with this, we can, we can um, resolve. Mashehiksham marashab b'reish cholin. Ad kan divrei Reb Chaim. Okay, chamisha lo yutrimu, which is chere shayt of a katan, an akam, and someone that it's not his. Says Reb Chaim, and also a behema. An animal can also not be Torah. Says Reb Chaim, with this we answer the Marsha in Meseches, the question of the Marsha in Meseches Chulin. Okay, so what, what are we talking about in, in Chulin? So Chulin, the Zayna Medalev. Over there we find the famous story of Rav Pinchas ben Yoyev. Rav Pinchas ben Yoyev, he came to a certain inn. They gave, excuse me, they gave somebody to his animal. He had a donkey. They give animals to his donkey, and the donkey refused to eat. So the Gemara says that they chavtinhu, they hid the donkey who needed to eat, and he didn't eat, and whatever they tried, it didn't work. So the Gemara says that the Pekka told them, you know what? Maybe the Sa'ire, maybe this body didn't have truma taken from them. The Gemara says, Asrinu, they took Trumas Maestras, and then the donkey ate. And Repentus Benyoy said, said, Ania Zoi, right, this animal that wants to do, right, return Hashem, and you're giving it Tevel. And now the Gemara is busy with this because animals are not Chayev in Tevel, right? Animals are not Chayev uh, in, 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 in Tevel. And the Gemara says, okay, but forget about animals. What about the owner? Is the owner Chayev in Tevel? And then there's a discussion of, of, in the Gemara, which I won't get into, Gemara discusses whether somebody who buys something, not for his own consumption, but for the consumption of his animals, is it Chayev in, 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 um, in Trumas and Maestras uh, or not? That's the Sugya of the Gemara. And the Gemara says um, that if you buy it for a person and then you change your mind to give it for your animals, then it's Chayev in Maestras. And that's why there was a chi of Maisa here. 
the Marsha says the following. The Marsha says, forget about the, the owner, he says, maybe the animal itself understood that there was a chi of maisa on the on the on the on the body. Maybe the animal itself understood that the Sa'irim were with Mai, the Gemara said they were Mai, they were not proper terrible, but they were Mai. And because the animal knew that Maister had not been taken, so that's why the animal um, uh, refrained from eating. Said the Marashad, don't tell me that animals would refrain from eating food that hadn't been taken Trumas and Maister from. Because he says animals don't have das. And they don't have any isur achila. They don't have an isur achila. An animal is not commanded. There's no instruction on animals to have uh, isur achila. So th- you can't tell me about the animal itself. Rather, he says, the Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't bring a takala al yada lebailo. A Kodesh Baruch Hu wouldn't bring a uh, a, a michshel, right? That the that the that the owner of the animal will somehow have an Avera by means of the animals eating tevel, and therefore the and therefore the owner will have an Avera. And that's why the, the Gemara discusses the obligation of the owner of the animal to take Trumas and Maestros from the tevel, from the produce, before he gives it to the animal to eat. That's what the Marsha says. And the Marsha says that the Kodesh Baruch Hu was ensured that the Bailim wouldn't have any answer. Says the Marsha, final line of the Marsha, now we can understand, says the Marsha, the answer to what the Oilam asks. He brings a question from Maxim HaOilam, or I don't remember the last one exactly. He says there's a question going around, and the question was, why didn't the animal itself, right, we're worried about the animals eating these body, and this body has a problem of tevel, so why didn't the animal itself take Trumas and Maestros? The animal could do it by itself, by right that you don't have to actually separate the trumas and maestro. You can look on one side and eat from the other side. The one side is trumas, and the and the rest will be uh, permitted to eat. Right, you have a whole pile of barley. Right, you you dedicate, you separate the trumas and maestros on one side of the barley, and then you can eat the other side of the barley. Says the marasha. Now I know why. Why, why this is not a question, right? The animal didn't do this by itself. Why not? Because the animal doesn't have das and the animal doesn't know what's going on and the animal's not a party to this story. Okay, leave aside the animal. The animal, right, the chamar, the donkey, he's not a player. He's not a central player in this story. The story is about Rav Pinchas ben Yoyed, the owner of the animal, and whether he will be nichshal whether he will have some kind of a flaw, some kind of an, an avera, because the, his animal, the donkey, is going to eat it. And then a Kodesh Baruch Hu, uh, ensured that he wouldn't because, uh, and, and, that, and that's why the animal didn't eat it. Says Reb Chaim, I have a new answer to this question. And this is just amazing, because, you know, you read the Gemara, it seems that the, the donkey knew what was going on. And that's why in the beginning, the Marashah is puzzled by this. Says the Marashah, no. The animal doesn't know what's going on. A Kodesh Baruch who stopped the animal from eating. But Rav Chaim says, for well, one minute, you, you, it doesn't sound like that from the Gemara. From the Gemara, it sounds like the, the animal knew what was going on. The animal refused to eat. So the animal had this task. This was, we find elsewhere in the Gemara, right? Rishonim 
is Kamalachim or Rishonim Kibbeni Adam, and we're like Chamerim, and not the Chamer of Pinchas Ben Yai. So you see that with Pinchas Ben Yai's donkey, his ass had a special uh, in, intuition, had a Torah intuition. This wasn't an ordinary donkey. The Marshal says, no, animal doesn't have dust. I think the Reb Chaim is dissatisfied with this answer. We know that Reb Pinchas Ben Yai's donkey was, a, was, was not Stama donkey. He was a special donkey. And therefore the question remains, why didn't this donkey take care of his own requirements and dedicate one side of the body for truma and eat the other side? Says Reb Chaim, no. Chamisha ain't tarmim, the imtarmu ain't trumas on truma. And there's another one, an animal. And because an animal cannot take truma, says Reb Chaim, so with this we answer the question of the marsha at the beginning of Cholin. Right, this question that the Marsha brings, Beshem the Oilam, Beshem the Yesh Makshim, right? Why didn't the animal take its own truma? Says Reb Chaim, the animal can't take its own truma because an animal is unable to take truma. So I'd like to make two points over here about Reb Chaim's, you know, this is literally four or five words in Derech Hamona. And that's all I want to speak about, these four or five words in Derech Hamona. What do we see over here? First of all, we see this uncanny and just remarkable, Chad Badara, I think, ability of Rav Chaim to make these connections, to have this Bikiyas on his fingertips. This is just one example. But the whole Sefer and all of his foreign are so filled with this type of example of Torah, that the Torah is on your fingertips. This is not great, you know, yeshivish londus. It's a it's, a, it's simple, it's, its beauty is its simplicity, it's mesameach, it's a joyful Torah. Reb Chaim was a very joyful person. He was a person with a sharp sense of humor. Some of the videos going around these days demonstrate that. He wasn't one of these, uh, you know, people who learn out of um, constant uh, fear. I'm not saying it's, it's uh, uh, no critique of the fearful characters, but Reb Chaim was not like that. He learned from a simcha, he learned from a certain experience of joy, of happiness. And this is a joyful insight. And it also illustrates his incredible bikiyas and his ability to make connections that nobody else would you know, think of making. You know, the, the Marsha in Cholin and, and the Mishnah in Meseches Trumas and Reb Chaim putting them together with these few words. But it also demonstrates Reb Chaim's appreciation that Every part of Torah is equal. Reb Chaim over here, is, in a certain sense, this is something like the Tanaim or the Amiraim, Tanaim Amiraim, that speak about sometimes very unlikely and, and very bizarre circumstances. You know, the Reb questions, as an extreme example, Reb Zera and the Gemara sometimes has these bizarre circumstances that they want to find what's the divrei Torah, even in these circumstances. And for Reb Chaim, the question of an animal taking truma was an interesting question. He mentions it, he adds it to the Mishnah. No animal, which animal is going to be taking truma, right? Who would be interested by this question? For, for, for the average Tamat Chacham, it's not an interesting question. Animals taking truma. Maybe he saw the Marsha in Meseches Chulet, but he probably forgot it very quickly. It's not part of his mindset. It's not part of his internal motion of Torah study. 
For Rav Chaim, everything was there. Every single element of Torah study was alive, was vivid, was a part of his psyche. It was all there. And when you learn the Mishnah in Maseches Truma, it says, yeah, and an animal can't take Truma. And with that, we answer the question brought by the Marsha in the beginning of Maseches Cholin. So I'm going to stop there. We have other distinguished people. Uh, I have a schools to, to have a, a, a strong connection to um, uh, Rabbi Warch, or Kalman Warch, who has been um, uh, my good friend for many, many years, uh, is the uh, acclaimed translator of one of the a safer that he would say it can never be translated. Um, there are certain works that people will say are impossible to translate. And of course, we know a translator has to be shoyled in two ways, complete mastery of the subject and also understanding their audience. And that is something which, if that's all Rav Kalman Warch had done in terms of uh, his, his contributions, it would again be something to be to marvel at. But Rav Kalman, of course, is a uh, really recognized throughout the United States as someone special, um, someone who understands. And uh, similarly, as uh, Rabbi as Dayan Pfeffer is also of the generation that Rav Chaim is has lived within him. Rav Chaim has been what he has been connected to, and he uh, graciously jumped at the chance to have the schus to speak and give us over. First of all, thank you very much. It's uh, in um, one of the one of the earliest works of Reb Chaim Kenievsky, um, the Sefer Nachal Eistan, which is basically a a sefer that explains everything there is to know about the mitzvah that I'm sure everyone's been studying about a lot. Um, or, or, or not at all. The mitzvah of Egla Arufa, that if you find a dead body between cities and then you have to measure and then you bring the calf and whatever that process may be. This is the mitzvah of Egla Arufa, one of the 613 commandments, or actually a number of the 613 commandments. And uh, there isn't much spoken about, there isn't much written about before Rechaim Kanievsky comes out with the Sefer Nachales, and it's incredible that this work, as, as he writes in his introduction, the first, the first Mahadura, the first uh, edition of this Sefer, he put together when he was 21 years old, which is just a, a, incredibly difficult to fathom, meaning that if this work, this, the Nachal Eisan, is a, w- would make someone one of the Gedoli Hador, if someone were to write this, they would clearly be one of the greatest scholars of the generation. And he wrote this when he was 21 years old. So he was already the God of Torah. So I, I want to share with you just one example of where Reb Chaim um, shows off maybe a little, um, not for the purpose of showing off, but reveals to us um, some of the yeshivish Torah of, of, the, of the yeshiva world, rather than just the way the world sees him as someone who knew everything, which he did, but uh, a little bit of the depth. So let me dive right in. One of the mitzvahs of the Egla Rufa, of this process, where we find that that body, we don't know who killed, is that the, um, the elders come down and the kohanim and the, the um, they come down to this nachal and they declare a vidui. They make a confession. That's what it's called. A confession that they did not, they weren't responsible 
for the death of this person, whatever that process is. And the question that Reb Chaim is dealing with is do you actually need everyone to recite separately on their own out loud this, um, these statements? Or is it sufficient that one person should say it and everyone else should be able to fulfill the obligation by hearing it? It's a concept called Shomea Ka'ona, we're all familiar with, where someone can say something and I can fulfill my obligation to listening um, to that person say, as we just did in, uh, in most places where uh, the, for example, with the Megillah, where the reader makes the brachas and recites the Megillah, and because we're all listening, it's considered a, as if we say it, but we know we can't always do that, and uh, we can't always have someone else speak for us. So what about in the case of the Egla Rufa, what would be, so says Reb Chaim, quoting his father, the Gehillas Yaakov, who brings a famous debate um, between the achronim, as to how exactly does this work when I say something that it's considered as if um, the person listening is also saying it. The famous Beis Alevi, the Beis Alevi says that when it comes to the Kohanim blessing the people by Duchening, you cannot have just one Kohen recite the blessing and then all the other Kohanim listening and it should be considered as if they did it. Because even when you're listening to someone else and they're fulfilling the obligation for you, the only thing that they can cause you to do is to it be for, is for it to be considered when that person speaks the words as if I spoke the words. Says the Beis Alevi, that's all that that person can do. But if there are conditions as to how the words should be spoken, if there are other factors besides for just the recitation of the words, so then the other person who's saying it for me cannot speak for me in a way to fulfill all the other obligations. So for example, when it comes to the Kohanim Duchani, the, there is an obligation for the Kohanim to recite the words of the blessing. But there's also an obligation for the Kohanim to recite Bakol Ram with a loud voice. Says the Beis Alevi, one Kohen can fulfill the other uh, obligation for the other coin of the recitation of the words, but he cannot fulfill the obligation of a loud voice for someone else. And therefore, one coin cannot recite the blessings for the other Kohanim. But the Chazanish, says the Kehilis Yaakov, the father of Reb Chaim, the Chazanish disagreed. The Chazanish said that, that it's actually um, when I speak for someone else and I'm being motzi, I'm fulfilling the obligation for someone else. When I speak those words, it's as if that person is doing whatever it is that I'm doing, and therefore I'm I'm creating the words with a loud voice, and I can pass along the words with a loud voice to the other Kohen, and it is considered as if the Kohen is fulfilling the obligation for someone else, and, and so therefore you are able to have one Kohen um, recite for the other Kohanim. However, so what, um, the, the Kehilis Yaakov, the father of Erbchaim Kenevsky says that there's another issue here. And that is that since Birchas Kohanim, when you're blessing the Kohanim, it's the Kohanim speaking to the people, says the Kehilis Yaakov, one Kohen, even if he recites the blessings, and it's considered as if the um, Kohen recites the blessings for the other Kohanim, and, and it's also considered that he's speaking for the other Kohanim with a loud voice. But you have a problem because you still can't make it that the Kohanim who are listening as if they're speaking to the people. So he says, the Kelis Yaakov says in general, he does not think that 
you could fulfill the obligation whenever he says the language is when you're speaking to someone else, when you're saying something to someone, you cannot fulfill the obligation. So says Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, accordingly, in this case of the elders who are making this recitation, we did not spill the blood of this innocent victim. So in this case, um, because they are um, not speaking to someone else, so then you should be able to have one person recite it and the other opinions fulfill it. However, says Reb Chaim, regarding the statement of his father. He says, we have another debate. There's a debate in Shulchan Aruch. I'll try to keep this brief. There's a debate in Shulchan Aruch when on Yom Kippur, when you have uh, the um, personal vidui, the personal confession in the quiet Shimon Esrei. But then when we repeat the chazan, um, we all do another vidui together when the chazan repeats the recitation, the Chazar Sashatz. And the question there is, do you need all the individual people to, again, repeat their confession along with the chazan? Or can the chazan fulfill the obligation of the congregation by him reciting the vidu, the confession out loud, and having uh, everyone in mind? So the Beis Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that you could just listen to the chazan. But the Ramah Paskins, like the Ram, that every person individually has to recite their own vidui, their own confession. So must be, says Reb Chaim, the reason is, because when it comes to confession, there's something very personal about it. Otherwise, why couldn't you fulfill it by listening to the chazan? There's something very personal about the concept of confession. Accordingly, says Reb Chaim, even though my father, the Kehilas Yaakov, says that in the case of um, you know, wherever there is not, a, wherever there would not be a concern of speaking to someone else, where you are speaking to yourself, it would be okay for someone else to fulfill it for you, says Reb Chaim, but in this case, we see that when it comes to confession, that it does need to be personal. And so here, this kind of confession would be, um, would also require each person to recite it individually. To which Reb Chaim says, but maybe not. Maybe there's a difference between the confession of Yom Kippur, where each of us is going to confess a different confession. Each of us has different feelings and a different experience, and each of us has different sins. And, and so there's something, that's why it's something deeply personal, and therefore you could not fulfill it by listening to the Chazan, who's really talking about his own sins, even if the words are the same, but the intention is differently, it's not focused on me. Says Reb Chaim, if that's the case, maybe it's different here. Because here, it is the same confession. Here, the, the Kohanim, the elders, are making this recitation of we did not spill this blood. This is a negative confession, so to speak, much more like the taking of Miser, where we confess that we've got, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a confession that all of us are the same, all of us did not partake in the spilling of the blood of this individual. Says Reb Chaim, going back again in this, maybe in this case, it would be okay for us to fulfill the obligation by having one person recite it and the other person just listen and fulfill the obligation. He then goes into a long discussion, which because of time I'm going to leave out. So he says, he says, nevertheless, and it could be that even if this is sort of universal and common, amongst all of us that we're all making the same confession. 
but it could be that anytime you're making a statement about yourself, anytime that you're testifying and saying, I've done, I've done, there, the, or I haven't done, regardless of which direction you're going, th- th- that, that needs to be a statement that you personally make out loud. An obligation that is just a general statement, you need to say this so we can all say it. But if it's a statement that I, a declaration, shall we say, if I'm making a declaration about myself, says Rukhaim, so then it should be personal. So even though it's all the same for us, it, it, should, it should still be because it's a personal statement, we should not be able to fulfill it by having one person recite it. So he says, if you're making a blessing, thank you, Hashem, for creating the, the fruits of the tree. So then you could fulfill other people's obligations. But he says, we know, and it's interesting that he brings it here, that the the when when there are the mitzvah of Eruv, when someone's making an Eruv, they make a you know, an Eruv. Now, what happens if one person is making an air of Tavshila and the other person is making an air of Chatseris and the other person is making an air of Tchumen? Says Rukhaim, it's it seems obvious that that one person should not be able to fulfill the obligation. So here too, because it's a, a sort of a personal thing, it, 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 you're making a statement about yourself. Therefore, one person would not be able to fulfill it for the next. And it, 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 he says it would be an interesting thing then, because we know that when it comes to Berchas HaGomel, when one person makes a, gives thanks for a miracle that happened to him, the halacha is that other people can only fulfill their obligation of being Yotze if they say Amen. Now, usually, Amen, we're supposed to say Amen to every bracha, but you should technically be able to fulfill your obligation when it comes to uh, a, a blessing without, even if you, if you don't get to say Amen. But when it comes to Gomel, giving thanks to Hashem, um, you have to say Amen. says, Rukhain, this is the reason, because something that's personal, you have to actually use the Amen and to fulfill your obligation. Says Reb Chaim, an interesting thing, that if you're listening to any bracha, which is very personal like that, so for example, he says, She'asa li kal tzarki, Hashem has given me all that I need, or Hamavr she'na me'enai, um, Hashem has removed the sleep from my eyes, in all of those cases, you may also not be able to fulfill your obligation unless you specifically say, Amen. Reb Chaim goes into a long discussion of where we do and don't say that, but he ends up with, I think, is a really interesting question. Based on all of this, why is it that our custom by Sefiris Omer, when we count the Omer, why don't we have the, the chazan recite the bracha and we should all fulfill the obligation simply by saying amen to the chazan and, and, and the recitation? Because we do have a concept of, of, of Barov Am, that it's better to do blessings together. And this seems like the kind of thing where one person could fulfill the obligation of everyone else. I, I, I'm, I'm out of time. So full safer. The whole safer. It's supposed to be a safer on the laws of Egla Rufa. He ends up covering almost every subject. If someone wants to know um, what kind of bracha, whether we say al or la, you know, Nachalesen is the address where he he goes through every single opinion on the subject and he, he covers, he covers. But what I wanted to show from this particular piece was that was that Reb Chaim could get into, he could wrestle, so to speak, Vayavek Ish Imo. With 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 the greatest lamdanim of the generation, he's twenty one. I mean, I, exactly when he wrote this piece, we don't know. But but he's there and he's able to throw around. It feels like 
it feels like reading this piece feels like reading from the Minchas Chinuch, where he's taking a subject that, that has not been dealt with, really. And because it hasn't been dealt with and not, not all the points are covered, he has to, he has to have the, the brazenness of, of Torah and the brazenness of, of Kedusha to be able to say, okay, well, let me take the rest of my knowledge of Torah and then let's apply it and look at all the intricate details to figure out exactly what the law should be in, in each of these cases. And, and you see him sort of juggling all the different elements of the Torah here. I know um, for the, the loss of of Reb Chaim Kanievsky, it's devastating to all of us, and you know we just want to dive into his Torah in order to to find some some consolation. But but I think right now we're in a place where what we need to establish is that um, you know to some level to understand the greatness by understanding that we can't understand the greatness, and and to me the Sefer Nachal is on this incredible work, um, it just you know just holding it and turning the pages reveals to us that what we lost was was a, a treasure, a, a treasure beyond anything that any of us could describe. And uh, we wait for we wait for the time when the, you know the um, great Sadiqim will be returned to us and we will once again be able to to learn from them. I thank you for the opportunity um, just to speak um, a little bit of his Torah. Final Marich and Maspin uh Bodenheim who uh, I feel very uh, connected to because um, we're both here in uh, central New Jersey trying to do what we can and, um, and, and trying to uh, generate Torah. He is, he is a stalwart of, uh, in terms of learning, in terms of being Makariv, in terms of uh, giving wonderful shiurim and writing. Um, he, uh, and I, he was someone that I relied on uh, when I was going through some difficult times with some uh, health issues in my family. Uh, he came in and, and, and uh, filled in for us here and, and in a wonderful, magnificent way. So I, 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 I sensed innately that he would be the, a person to turn to, because uh, I know he's had a, somewhat of, he even has gone in, of course, like many of us have gone into Rukhayim. And uh, Ravarach, if you would share with us uh, your Machshavis and Harocha on uh, the Sarah Torah. Thank you so much, Rabbi Kivalevitz. It's a privilege to once again be sharing Divi Torah words to the Yeshiva of IDT under your tutelage, Rabbi Kivalevich. And um, I'll tell you, I had this thought probably half a year ago. I don't know why I was thinking about Osama bin Laden, but I was thinking about Osama bin Laden. And I remember like the image that they portrayed on the news of when they caught him, they stormed his compound and the, the, the vivid image that was like implanted in my mind was this elderly person sitting in a dark, cold compound. Uh, he was freezing, had a lot of blankets on top of him. And here he was, he didn't have even a lot of uh, the regular connections of internet and uh, cell phones. He had to be obviously in a very insular nature. And this is the menace, the villain of the entire world. He was like trying to attack, destroy, and cr create mayhem. And he was behind many, many insidious plots and death and destruction. And this is just an elderly person sitting inside a cold room. 
simple room. And that drew my attention to the parallel opposite, polar opposite of this is somewhere in B'nai Barak, Rechov Rajbam, there's a little room, go up the steps, there's a little room, it's very simple, not much going on there except for a table, chairs, stender, a lot to swarm, and an elderly person, Chaim Kanievsky, is sitting there, and he's not with all the other connections that people have, he's just sitting there and learning, and the difference between the two is there's one man who's trying to plot, destroy the entire world. And here you have the one man who, my feeling was, is literally holding up the entire world, protecting and saving the world. Father Chaim was the one who the people turned to when there are missile attacks in Eretz Yisrael. And so we have to worry about it. And B'nai said, no missile will fall here. No, no one will get harmed. And the people should have the so comfortable and feel so secure when he says that, it's like uh, somebody who you realize is really holding a protection of the world. Why, why do we have that feeling from Chaim? Chaim Kanievsky had uh, uh, many unique qualities, and I'm not one to be feel like I'm worthy of being masked, but I'm just going to point some unique qualities that really touched me. One unique quality is People talked about his breath and his knowledge in Torah and his awesome ability to learn Kula. Yes, he, he was able to, but the quality of being able to do that was the fact that he took the responsibility. He took the responsibility to take on himself that he has to learn the entire Torah. It's almost as if he realized the responsibility to take to own the Kol HaTorah Kula is his. And he's going to be held liable and accountable for it. And he made himself accountable for it. He had a certain amount of pages he had to learn a day of various farm, Gemara, Yishami, Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, and so on and so forth, including Zohar and the like. There's no secret. They would post it up. Erev, Erev uh, Pesach, we'd make a seum and they'd post the list every year and you just stand there with your mouth open and aghast. The unique quality is that he took the responsibility to do that and implemented it. My dear Chavah, Rabbi uh, Pfeffer said, Rabbi Kanievsky was a, a legend and it's hard to view him as a role model. True, if we look at the enormity of the amount of what he was able to learn and accomplish, it is hard to be a role model for the average person. But perhaps we can zoom in on this quality of responsibility in regarding to one's Torah learning. Responsibility in, in the way you see that you are responsible for yourself and others in regards to Torah. And that's something that we can really learn from and really impart part in our lives. The Nefesh Chaim says that if someone, what if there's no Torah learned in this world for one second, the entire world would implode. Almost Chaim took that upon himself that he has to learn around the clock. I did some reading up about him and uh, 
because it definitely intrigued me. And I wasn't aware, but he kept the same schedule as his, as it was the legendary Yashiv. He used to get up at 2.30 in the morning. He slept for two and a half hours a night. It's not what most people can do. But the responsibility he put upon himself and accountability that he had. Anytime he fell behind, he would tell people, I, I don't have time. I have a chovas. I have a responsibility. If I'm missing the amount of material I need to learn that day, I'm responsible. I'm accountable. He had a debt to pay. It was a debt to him. And that's something that really people can implement. In, 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 we can implement our lives. Maybe not to the enormity of what he did, but to even if you take, if you do daf yomi, you learn daf yomi. If you learn amida yomi, if you learn daf a week, if you Whatever your learning is, to be accountable for it. Rav Moshe Sternbach, when he heard the, the news of the passing of Chaim, he said a line, and uh, a lot of people were very touched by it. The line was said is, this was worse than the destruction of the base of Mikdash. So that line that Rav Moshe Sternbach said really comes from a Gemara in Rashana and from a Medrash. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, "Shkula misa sadikim kisreifas beis The death of sadikim is equal to the burning of the base of Mikdash. But the Medrash in Eicha uses a different terminology, and the Medrash actually says something even quite more alarming. The Medrash says in Eicha, if you want to look it up, in Aleph Lamed Zayin, The death, the passing of tzaddikim is more difficult to Hashem than the 98 in Beis and from the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So here the Medrash says that actually the death of tzaddikim is is even worse than the destruction of Beis HaMikdash. And it brings proofs by the Tachachah says one time Pele and by Corbin it says Pele Ployim it says it says twice it says Pele and by the destruction of and the Tzaddik it says Hindi Yosef Lahafli is almost a half of a fellow when Yeshai says it's referring to the loss of Tzaddik. So it means with the loss of Tzaddik we have to realize that the loss the enormity is it's even greater than the loss of the Beis Hamikdash. That's really what Moshe Sternbach said. But how do you reconcile this Medrash with the Gemara? The Gemara says that. It's equal. And yet the measure says it's even greater. So the Shlach HaKadosh says something fascinating. The Shlach says in level of Kedusha, a Talmud Chacham, a Tzaddik is equal to the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash. He's literally the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The, the Kedusha of the Tzaddik is the same as the Beis HaMikdash. But in a certain aspect, it has a greater level than the Beis HaMikdash. In the Kedusha, it's the equal. But in one aspect is that the continuity for Kalah Yisrael is more dependent upon the Tzaddikim than upon the Beis HaMikdash. The loss of the Beis HaMikdash is terrible. But we can still survive and we still have in existence 2,000 years after the loss of Beis HaMikdash. But the loss of a Tzaddik is a loss of the link to the chain of the Torah from Sinai. And that Torah that we lost, that's irreplaceable. I'll leave you with just a few, a couple stories to realize just who he was and what type of person he was. He wasn't just that he was nose inside the Gemara. He's a real person. He lived what he, his life was Torah and he lived it to the extent where nothing else really phased him. And many people would come and frequent his home and speak to him for brachas and for etzis. 
And there are multiple stories of wealthy, wealthy individuals who came to him. And these are people who are giving major amounts to Tzedakah. And they asked Rechaim, what can I do to make the Rav happy? I just gave this money to this call. I just built this base medrash. I just built this institution. I gave this amount. And Rechaim turned to him and said, you don't look like you're, you don't look so Yiddish, so Jewish. You, you don't have a beard. You're, where's your payas? He said, grow some payas and, and a beard. Now, it sounds a little bizarre, but to Rechaim, the fact that this guy, what would make him happy, the, the businessman says to Rechaim, says, I, I, I asked what will make you happy. He says, that will make me happy. I don't need the money. I, what makes me happy is just you performing mitzvahs. I'll give you another story. There's another wealthy businessman came to him and said, what should I do? What do you want? What does the Rav want me to do? I want to, so he says, I want you to learn Mishnah Yisram for half an hour a day. He said, no, I'm willing to write a check to whatever institution you want. He said, no, Rav says, I want you to learn Mishnah Yisram for half an hour a day. Both these businessmen said it was harder for them to do that, to learn that Mishnah Yisram for half an hour a day or to grow their beard than to actually write the check out. So you, to him, what he wanted was more connection to, to the real thing. To them, it wasn't hard to write a check. But to them, to do something more in their connection to Hashem and Torah and Mitzvahs, that was harder. And for that, that would make him happy. Besides that, his living in Torah, his connection to people, we took, he was very, very, he took it very seriously. And he took it as a responsibility as well to accept people and talk to them in the there's a story that one morning he turns to his son and he says I want you to be mowed to me in the Berchus Torah. I want you to say Berchus Torah because I can't say it so why can't you say it he said I didn't say it last night I didn't sleep last night so I didn't sleep last night I can't say Berchus Torah so the son said Berchus Torah and Rechaim answered so after davening he said what happened how come you couldn't sleep daddy Tati, I come to sleep. So he said, I'll tell you what happened. Last night, I I have normally, I accept the public from 11 o'clock. And uh, the people who normally take care of it weren't able to be there. So we had arranged other people to be there. And it didn't work out. Something, they weren't there. So I said, there's no one going to be there to really oversee it, to make sure that people come in and out in a responsible manner. You know what? I have a lot of, uh, I'm behind in different learning. Let's cancel Let's cancel the greeting for people tonight and we will, uh, I'll be able to catch up my material that I need to learn. He said, I went to sleep that night. I thought I'd catch up material. I couldn't fall asleep. And so now I got up at three in the morning and I couldn't sleep. I was so tired because I, I got out of bed at three, but I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't, I couldn't learn as well as I normally could. He says, I thought that if I don't accept the public, greet them and listen to them, then I'm going to gain time. So you see, Hashem said, no, no, you're going to lose time. So he took, from that, he took very seriously that he had a responsibility to Klai Yisrael. And not just to learn, and his learning is a protection for Klai Yisrael, but the fact that he's learning, in fact, that he can make himself accessible to other people. And his access to other people, to that was real. He's a real person. If you listen to the Hespedim from his sons and his son-in-laws, you see that they said a lot of stories. Because to them, he was a real person. He wasn't just some far figure who was just able to learn an enormous amount. He was a real live person who had a personality, had a life to him. 
I went in a few years ago with my son right before his bar mitzvah. He said, no pictures. Why? Because he's not a celebrity. He's a real person. We have to know that we, that's what we lost. Rukhaim Shulevit says in this week's parish, another Navio passed away. The Gemara and Avon says that he passed away. The sin was, there's many different explanations, but the Gemara and Avon says the sin was punished because they're more halachal than rabbi. They ruled in front of the Rebbe. They shouldn't have given a ruling in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. Rukhaim Shulevit says, the Chayiv Misa, someone who's more halachal than rabbi, someone who gives a ruling in front of the Rebbe is Chayiv Misa. How do we have such a severe punishment for that? Rukhaim says in tremendous fundamental principle and that is that we have we need our zikanim we need our elders we need our tamidachamim and if we don't rely on them then that's worse there's no life because we're not connecting ourselves to our Sinai we have to realize that Yuchai was a connection to our Sinai and really the, the, uh, a lesson I, I gleaned from him is the accountability that he held for himself and everyone can hold themselves accountable for a certain amount whatever it is and it doesn't have to be just in regards for Torah learning. It'd be held yourself accountable because that's real. That's what Hashem wants from us. And with that, I thank you for the privilege to address you. And I hope we gain some chizuk from the words. I thank Rabbi, Rabbi Kivalevitz, Rabbi Pfeffer, Rabbi Warch. Klaisel should receive an achama. Greet with Shiach Tzikenu with the building of the base of Mishra. Amen. Rabbi Bodenheim, just to be Messiah. Uh, which, of course, is the parsha of Histalkus of Tzadikim, Histalkus of Bnei Aliyah, that we have no Hasoga of Adnod of Aviyu. We also have, of course, the parsha of Machoas Asurais. And it's Rav Chaim, uh, when he was looking at this parsha and um, the parsha of what is considered a Behema Temeya and a Behema Tahira. So the Torah says that the simon of a Behema Tahira is of course Shreshas Shesa Prosais, but also Malagera. Malagera is the significant simon. Of course, we know the Chazer, which, which has the Prosais, it has the cleft hooves, but it's not Malagera. So Chaim says if you look at that Rashi, Rashi describes how what it is. It's not that it has the stomach, that it has the extra stomach. But we stress the pu'ul of what that extra stomach does. That it's malu makia machum mayeho. That actually the food goes into the stomach originally, and then it 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 the it it, it pushes it back. And that's of course take something for that for that stomach to push back it and turn it back into the mouth. for the teeth to then grind it to the point. And of Chaim quotes the Rashi that it's nifshar v'nimuach in the pet. Chaim says a malagayer, an animal that's not malagayer to us. He said, "This is an atzlan. This is someone who's not omel. True, it's an animal, and the animal has no other teva. You know, despite maybe Pinchas ben Yor's behemoth was a little bit different, but animals beteva, of course, this is what they are. But what does it mean to us when we see that?" Viscerally, Rechayim felt that's treif. Why is it treif? Because it just wants to just take the food in, absorb it, and go weiter. That's that is an anathema to us. We are built on being omel, meaning we bring it back. We bring it back when it comes to learning. Of course, you can learn once and you can run through it, but with the havana that Rechayim showed, whether it's in Derech 
in Terach, in, in Nachalesan, throughout his Biurim on scribe today, bringing it back, bringing it back in the pe again, softening it, understanding it, absorbing it within your essence, knowing it. That's what every Jew has to do when it comes to learning. Of course, Bikiyus is important, but you have to be Malagator. And if you're if you're if if it's you're something that's not Malagator, I am said, that's that's tarfus. That's viscerally. You could that type of cook is really reflective of, of, of Rav Chaim's world outlook. Other Mefarsha might try to look at the Simon of Tuma and Tahara of animals and try to find, as Rav Hirsch and others do, their Tunas Hanefesh, when you see an animal is Dores or an animal is this with hooves or how it exactly, how it, how it uh, perhaps fights. And, uh, but Rav Chaim, he looked at it, yes, that's an Otzel. And I think that that is really, in a way, as Rav Baruch has said, something that we, of course, we can, can we be Rav Chaim? But we can be Madama ourselves to him in terms of eliminating all aspect of Atzlus, eliminating Atzlus Legamri in our learning, becoming Bali Malagera, actually bringing back, and, 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 and again, I can't, Especially during this mechaydish of Rav Chaim's the to be malegera to bring back his Torah to learn it to chew it over to find the the type of brilliant things that you've heard today from our maspidim from our, our people who give arocha it's really open patuach to all of us just say one last even if you feel oh I can't do derech amuna I can't do the sefer nachalesan the svarim and chumish. The Derech Sicha, the Tamid the Kra, these Svarim are, are, and especially the Svarim that have arisen, where you have the Torah of Rav Chaim explain, these give an opening for all of us to really be Omel, to work on the, and, and be Makabah within ourselves. When we take that in ourselves, I think that is the way we'll be able to start downloading that type of thinking, that type of cook. That Rav Chaim had. To Zichrei Borach, of course, Ein Oisin Nefoshet Zot Tzadikim Divreim Hein Hein Zichroinam. And it should be, a, as we said, Klal Yisrael should be Neschazik after this incredible, incredible loss and be Neschazik, as Rav Chaim would say, no, was my wellness. This is the, the, the gave weiter, learn something. And with that, I'm sure. We will be zeicha to be makabel bnei Mashiach, and once again, we know with the Torah of the Goyin Hagodol Sarat Torah Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.